What is going on, everybody? This is Let's Get It Straight. It's your host, Austin Arnold, and I have a very special guest. I have Brandon Lewis from Brandon's World. Brandon, how are you doing today? Man, Austin, it's been a crazy weekend sports. Glad to be here with you today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this has just been one of those crazier weeks in sports because in the NFL, lots of news happening in the NFL. We'll touch on that later in the show. We have March Madness, which is about to be set, the, the round of 64. That whole bracket will be announced in a couple hours. And then, you know, MLB hitting home on a deal with the MLBPA. So there will be baseball after a couple weeks of uh, delayed games. But let's go ahead and jump into the belly of the beast, Brandon. Kent State, uh, what a year they had. What a year Kent State has had. and. You know, they played in the MAC championship game yesterday. They lost 75 to 55 against Akron. And, you know, the feeling going into that game with all the speculation and all the, and all the, the drama that happened in the game prior, Brandon, is, you know, it, there's going to be a lot of adversity for Kent State. And overall, they just weren't able to overcome it. They won 14 straight games coming into this game. And they beat Akron two times prior on this winning streak. So, Brandon, what were your initial thoughts? First of all, about the suspension of players for the first half and some for the whole game, and just kind of take me through the whole game in your eyes. So, listen, uh, the suspension, when I first heard of the news and then I saw the video, my immediate thought was what transpired last night in the ballgame. I said, Kent State's going to get killed. Uh, they just gave Akron bulletin board material. Um, now listen, I understand you can be excited in the locker room. I understand the energy's eye. It's a rivalry game, but you just cannot do that. Uh, and we see this throughout a bunch of sports. You know, we see it throughout the NFL. We see it throughout Major League Baseball. We see it throughout the NBA. We know that there are rivalries still in sports. It may not be what it once used to be because everybody seems to be buddy-buddy on social media nowadays, but there are still legit rivalries in sports. With that being said, I think that the MAG wanted to show that, like, hey, these guys can be rivalries on the court, but off the court, we need to respect their players. We need to respect the program. Everybody's involved in the MAG, blah, 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 blah. Kent State did have a great regular season. Obviously, you mentioned it winning, going into last night, winning 14 straight games, 12 games, I believe, to end the regular season just to get them to the number two seed in the MAC tournament. Which, as a reminder, when I was still in school at Kent State, Kent was never higher than a four seed in the MAC tournament. They never made it out of the first round. So when you look at that, yeah, this season could be considered a success. But I could argue that last night was not very good for the program. I mean, Kent State should have won that ball game if, if they didn't get into that nonsense. They didn't give Akron bulletin board material. I believe that Kent State is fought out better than Akron. And at the end of the day, I think that this was a great chance for Kent State to get into the NCAA tournament. And they dropped the ball last night. They did not shoot the ball well. They did not play good defense. Akron beat them in every phase of the game, offense, defense, getting turnovers, and credit to, to Akron on that. Um, and, you know, Akron hasn't made the tournament since 2013. So with that being said, I just, yeah, I'm disappointed. But at the end of the day, you're right. They did have a good regular season. Yeah, and for Kent State, let, let, let's just, 
let it be known that when you win 12 straight games to win the regular season, when you're when you're kind of already back against the wall before that winning streak, because it, it wasn't looking good. Uh, you know, when you lose to Central Michigan, who was one of the, the worser teams in the MAC this year, obviously they made it in as an eight seed and almost beat Toledo in the first round or the or the quarterfinal, excuse me. Uh, Central Michigan were they were able to turn some things around later in the year. Regardless, though, for Kent State, their backs were against the wall. It almost just seemed like the entire year until that winning streak, because the winning streak was kind of like the last ditch effort to maybe get in the tournament. Now, I want to jump right into the game because, you know, I was at the game yesterday. I, I wanted to see Kent State win just as much as you did. Uh, we, we both know each other through Kent State's Black Score Radio. So I want to just jump right into just some of the statistics. For Akron, when you have four guys in double digits on the other team, uh, that's never good. When you only have one guy on Kent State in double digits, that's never good. Four to one will always win in the end. Uh, Ali Ali put up 15 points, five of nine from the field, and he shot four of five from outside. That's a pretty good number, shooting 80%. And then you had Enrique Freeman, defensive player of the year in the, in the MAC. Eight of ten from the field, twenty-three points, eight rebounds, almost had a double-double. Uh, Xavier Castaneda, five of twelve, one of four from the three-point line. He had fifteen points. He was getting to the line a lot last night. And then off the bench, you had Ger- I believe it's yeah Garvin Clark. I didn't want to mess up his name, but Garvin Clark comes off the bench. He shoots three for five from outside the arc. That's those are some pretty good numbers. Moral of the story is that Akron like you said, had bullet board material. And when you release a video like that, and it's unfortunate that it got released, it got, you know, leaked. It should, that should not have happened. If you're going to have a video like that, keep it in-house. Uh, it did end up getting released, which sucked. However, that's not going to get me off the hook necessarily for, you know, how Kent State played overall. Because Sincere Carey, as dominant as he has been the entire year, we saw for the first time in a long time, Brandon, that Sincere Carey was mortal and he wasn't superhuman and he wasn't doing everything that he's been doing up to this championship game. He shot two of 11 from the field in general, two of five from the three-point line, and he had six points overall. And he was the only player on Kent State to not even come out for a break. 40 minutes and you only put up six points. Now I'm not going to give him a hard criticism because again, he had a lot of turnovers, but I also feel like a lot of those turnovers were in large part to two things. Number one, there was no Malik Jacobs in the first half hero ball. You know, when you try to play hero ball, you try to compensate for too much. And I think it just kind of got away from him. And number two, I think with all of the, the pressure leading up to this game, Akron knew that for a third game this year, it would be extremely hard for Kent to win. And this is where I'm going to ultimately say this is why Akron won the game. If you were to give me seven days out of the week, and if you were to give me two coaches to choose from, but I have to choose one, am I going to take John Gross or am I going to take Rob Senderoff? And as good as Rob Senderoff has been all year, and trust me, I have had my criticisms with him. I have, I'm probably the most vocal person at Kent State that has called for his firing or resignation multiple times on air. But last night, 
he was out coached and he had a great, great, great year. But John Gross, he's, he's been a head coach of power five schools, Brandon. And you have that pedigree already on your resume. I mean, he just got out coached. The team got outplayed. And ultimately Kent State just couldn't win in the end falling by 20 points. But Brandon, it was a great year for the Golden Flashes. Let's not take anything away from them. What were your what are your final thoughts, I guess, just on the whole Kent State season? And do you think they make it to the NIT at this point? The the crazy thing is it's it's hard, right? Because it's hard to evaluate a team when you're really, you know, maybe a real like a four or five seed in a you know usual Mac tournament, and then you go on a winning streak that votes you up to the number two team. You've been playing so well, obviously you expect to win that game. To your point, um, I thought Coach Sindorov, I thought this was his best year coaching. I've had my criticisms of him as well. To be able to get that locker room to turn around after that bad loss early in the season, get them to the number two seed. So was it a successful season? I think you can answer that in many different ways. I think you could say yes, because they they did obviously overachieve in the regular season. But you could also say no, because when you add that winning streak, when you have that momentum, and you have one, one of the best players in the MAC, maybe the best player in the MAC, and a guy who's averaging over 20 points a game in the regular season in carry. I mean, there's teams like Duke and North Carolina and these big March Madness teams that don't even have their best score in 20 points a game. So to your point, I thought Kerry did play a lot of team hero ball last night. Uh, I thought that Akron, yes, I thought Akron now coached Kent State last night. There was a lot better ball movement, I've always said, in basketball. Ball movement is a lot better than, than isolation. Great teams have multiple scores. Great teams can defend. Great teams can move the ball. And at the end of the day, um, I would say this Golden Flashes team this year, was it a success? Yeah, if, if, if you want to call it a success of being in the MAC tournament every year, and yes, you've got a subculture, but at the end of the day, this Golden Flashes franchise has not been to the NCAA tournament since 2017. And so I think that, yes, at this point, they do make it into the, the NIT this season. But next season, the goal absolutely has to be the NCAA tournament. And so that is where I am putting my money at right now on this Golden Flashes team. And let's see what they can do. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I expect this team to fully make it to the NIT. Uh they were, you know, Scott Van Pelt was pointing them out almost every week, it seemed like, for being just the hottest team in college basketball up until last night. But to kind of go back on your whole point, uh, yeah, the money has to be placed on Kent State, wouldn't you think? Like, like this, this team showed us that they can win the tougher games. They just couldn't win that game. And I think ultimately they were just – it could have been just gassed out last night too. But Akron's a young team too. They were a very young team, full loaded with sophomores, one junior in the starting lap. They are a young team, so don't expect them to, to go away. Like, like this team, they, they played great last night. They're here to stay for the long haul, and maybe that adds a little bit of extra motivation for Kent State. Regardless, I also want to throw this out there. John Gross has won the MAC tournament three times, 20, 2010, 2012, and in 2022, and this was the first one where he won it with the Akron Zips. So congratulations to the Zips. And for Kent State, we'll see what's ahead after Selection Sunday. We'll probably get some news some type of tonight. But going to March Madness now, Brandon, 
before we know who's seated everywhere, before we, you know, kind of dive in to who's going to win each matchup, if you were to put your chips on the table right now, what is the winner going to look like this year? Or if you even want to give me a prediction of a final four. Ooh, okay. So let me give you a couple teams that I really like this year. I think Kentucky is legit this year. Uh, I think Kansas is legit this year. Now, Duke, I'm not necessarily sold on. I know that they have some great players. I know that this is Coach K's last ride. But as I've always said, Duke is kind of an untrustable basketball team. They either lose in the round of 32 or they go to the Final Four. So there's really no in-between with them. Uh, I just think that that Kansas and Kentucky, those would be kind of the two number one seeds I would take. I know Baylor, obviously, coming off the great season last year and, and winning the championship, but I don't think they're as good as last year, even though they are a number one seed. Gonzaga, definitely a team that I would that I would look out for, but I don't necessarily think that they're the favorite. They played a lot of close games here uh, in their conference tournament. And um, so if, if I had to say, you know, I think Auburn, someone has had some good competition, but they also fell. I mean, there's been a lot of, you know, big losses here in these tournaments. There's been a lot of upsets in the conference tournaments. So I'll give you Kentucky and Kansas as my two favorite one seeds. A team that I would also look out for as a number three or number four seed, like a Wisconsin or a UCLA kind of fixtures in that tournament every year that have a lot of good players, play a lot of good team ball. And um, I think my Cinderella pick, I'll, I'll give you one Cinderella pick here. I think a team who could be about an 11 seed. They're projected right now to go up against Texas in the first round. I like Memphis. Um, they have a top 10 pick in the draft. They are very long. They play good team basketball. Memphis is a team that has knocked off some good teams. And as a number 11 seed in the tournament, I can see them potentially doing some damage. Yeah, and Memphis has had some very key wins the past couple yep. of games. Like when you go in and beat a team like Houston, who was the outright favorite for that game, I, that's just like like Memphis is finally starting to get something going. But but back to you know the whole topic. Uh, if I were to give a couple picks right now, uh, I would easily. I feel like we don't want to throw Gonzaga in there. You know, Gonzaga, if they weren't already a number one team. You know, maybe they might be a two seed. Like, see, Gonzaga is such a weird team because they can stylistically play with anyone. You know, that they, they are arguably the best team in the nation. And yet they play in a mid-major conference. Like, like oh, yeah. that, that's the weirdest thing about Gonzaga is if we were if they were in like the Pac-12, or if they were in like uh, let's say the Big Ten, like a big a power five, we wouldn't be having these doubts. But they play in the in the WCC, a mid-major conference, and you lost to St. Mary's. So I know that's their only conference loss this year, and they've won all their conference games by like 14 points or more. Regardless, you know, I, I think Gonzaga, you still have to add in there, despite yeah. how strong how weak their schedule is. And they've tried to make an effort to get a stronger schedule like this past year, but I don't know. Gonzaga strikes me as a team that will definitely be in the final four in my eyes, because I just think they're going to go on a run 
and, and I'm and I'm not gonna deny Mark Few and how well the coach he's been his whole t- entire time at Gonzaga. But Kentucky is really good. I, I like I like Kentucky a lot. And if I were to say that Kentucky is going to be in my Final Four, I could see it because Oscar Schwebe. He is an animal. And something about Oscar Schwebway, so when you get the ball to him in the post, he's just dominating. It's almost like Shaq reminiscent. You know, I like his style of play, and he, and he can play absolute bully ball to essentially get his team a win. And fun fact about Oscar Schwebway, you know, I'm working in Youngstown right now at WFMJ 21 as an intern. And Oscar Schwebway, he played high school basketball at um, – I'm, I'm trying to think of the name. But it, it was in a school in, like, western PA, like far okay. west PA, Kennedy Catholic. He played at Kennedy Catholic, and I've covered Kennedy Catholic one time this year, and they all – and they're all in on Oscar Schwebway. Like, they, they loved what he did for them in high school, and, and they expected all of this from him coming into the college ranks. But I like Kentucky a lot. I, I think they are a team that can definitely make that final push. Now, where they're seated remains to be a mystery. I agree with you a lot on Duke. Duke is a really mysterious team because there are games that, you know, they should be blowing out teams. And then there are games where, you know, when they should be blowing out those teams, those same teams are, are fighting back and either losing by one or winning. Yeah, so, but- so, like, I know it's Coach K's final year, and I know that, it would be a perfect send off for him to win, but all, all stories don't come to perfect endings. I don't see them winning at all. I mean, very rarely in sports, to your point, do we get a perfect ending? Mm-hmm. You know, Peyton Manning winning the Super Bowl, you, you know, it's in the maybe we think of a, of a perfect ending. You know, the greatest quarterback of all time, Tom Brady, did not get a perfect ending. You know, Michael Jordan came back and played with, with the Wizards for two years. Uh, Kobe Bryant's first year in the league, or excuse me, his last year in the league was obviously in a bad Lakers team. You know, David Ortiz, his last year lost in the first round to to uh, our what was the Cleveland Indians that year that we made the World Series. So I just, to me, like Duke is a good team, but he we already mentioned Gonzaga. Um, you know, Kansas, Kentucky, mm-hmm. um, you know, even, even in their own conference, you had an eighth or a ninth seed, like a North Carolina that I think is a really good eight, eight or a nine seed. If they match up against Duke there in the second round, we know that they can give Duke some problems. So I, I, I just feel like that, like Duke is a good team. They could have two top 10 players in the draft, but they also just don't feel like they may have the best star power on the court, but they don't feel like the best team. And in March Madness, it's different than the NBA, where in the NBA it's a series. It's all about star power, whoever has the most stars, whoever has the most depth. When March Madness, it's one game. It's single elimination. And so Duke, which is not known for being the best shooting team, if you have one guy, one of your stars struggle, you're out. And I could very well see that happening. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you 100%. I want to talk a little bit about Kansas because, you know, Kansas, I, until you just brought him up again, you know, Ochai, I, I always butcher his name. Ochai Agbaji, he is a wooden, a, he's a wooden player of the year candidate. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some games with Kansas this year where he has just went insane, 
nuclear, however you want to describe it. He's been that for the Jayhawks this year. And the Jayhawks have good players. Uh, Christian Braun is a great starter. Jalen Wilson's a good starter. You know, they, they got Remy Martin from Arizona State. But despite it all, it, it all runs through Agbaji at the end of the day. For sure. His only his only flaw or weakness in his game, which is so weird to me, is his free throw shooting. His yeah. free throw shooting is, I think, just over 72%, maybe just over 70, which is crazy to think about because he, he does everything perfect. He can shoot the three ball well, he can drive to the rim, he can create for all of his teammates. Like he is the perfect player, but he can't make free throws. But in college basketball, 70% shooting is not terrible, you know. Uh, and they also have six guys that are shooting at least 73% or above, which is a lot more than most of these teams. You know, some of these teams have a couple 80% shooters, but they also have some guys that are in the low 70s or, or you know, I-60s in free throw shooting. So to your point, I, you know, yes, he does have to improve in the free throw shooting, but I don't think it's going to hurt Kansas that much. Coach Bill Self has been there for a long time. I think that they definitely, they're going to be probably a one seed. If not, the lowest they're going to be is a two seed. They have, to me, as great of a chance as, as, as anyone. I think they're flying a little bit under the radar. Yeah, and that's going to kind of lead and uh, I guess we can do like predictions right now. So, Brandon, if, if you want to give a Final Four prediction, like a firm Final Four prediction, I know we don't have a bracket in front of us, but uh, – if you want to name Final Four, maybe a championship game, uh, if you have anything up on your mind on that, you can go ahead and tell Okay, me. I think for sure Kentucky and Kansas will be two of the teams. I'll put Gonzaga in there as a third team. I don't – I think Baylor and Arizona, I don't think that they're going to make it. I don't think we're going to have all four one and two seats. So I'm actually going to go with – I'm debating here in my head whether I want to go with Wisconsin because I like Wisconsin a lot. They've always been a really good basketball school, a lot better than a football school. Typically, I like schools that are either basketball or football schools. If they're a basketball school, I like them in the tournament. If if they're a football school like in Ohio State or in Alabama, even if they're okay college basketball, I usually don't like them in the tournament. It's just weird the way that kind of works. Um... I'm debating between them and UCLA because I really do like UCLA as well. They they played a lot of good competition in that Pac-12. Give me Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin's a solid team. I think they've been through a lot of competition. They're the best team in the Big Ten with a lot of good teams. You mentioned Purdue is in there as well. Ohio State and and obviously a bunch of those teams. Uh, so I will say Gonzaga, Wisconsin, Kentucky, Kansas. That's my final four. Okay. I'm going to agree with three out of those four. I like Kentucky a lot. Put them in. Uh, Gonzaga, put them in. I, I, they're not getting the respect that they deserve for some reason, but we're putting them in. You, they're almost a write-in because, I mean, th- that roster is just insane. Uh, Kansas, put them in. The, I think Kansas is going far, like you said, under the radar. I'm really sold on how well they play team basketball. And honestly, I mean, I might leak it right now. I might have them winning it all. I like Kansas a lot. So I'm going to take Kansas for all the way, and then I'm going to also take them to go to the Final Four. But obviously when the brackets come out, we can give, you know, good assessments on who's going to go through each bracket. But I think the fourth and final team for me, you know, I kind of want to lean – 
I kind of want to lean Purdue because I, I like how Purdue plays, but, but also, gosh, I could, I should, I could be such a homer by saying this. I chose Baylor to go all the way last year in some of my brackets. I could just see Baylor making it, but like, I'm also very suspect on them. So I think for right now, I'm going to say put Baylor as that fourth team. But once the bracket comes out, then my tune will probably change. Again, this is just all speculation. See, I don't want to put all one or two seeds in there. Those are to be Kentucky, Kansas, and Gonzaga or watch. That fourth seed, you can make an argument for UCLA, UConn, Purdue, Wisconsin, Providence. I mean, Tennessee. Yeah, I I didn't even think about Providence. I think Providence, despite their bad loss they had the other other day, Providence has played really good. So depending on where they are in the bracket, you know, they could have an easy path. I expect them to be a three or four seed. Yeah. No, I mean, I – I, from all the projections I've seen, they've been a four seed. Uh, so I could certainly see them there. I'll brought another team to you that I'm looking through my March Madness notes right now. Villanova. Um, I know mm-hmm. that that's a team we haven't talked about. They're projected to be a two or a three seed. Obviously, they are battle tested in that in, in that up conference. So, I mean, that fourth seed, it feels like it could be anybody, right? Any of those yeah. top four seeds in each region. Yeah. And, when Jay Wright's on the floor coaching, yes. we know how well Jay Wright has his teams. I, I agree with Villanova, at least trying to get a sniff of that fourth and final, final four spot. Uh, but anyways, it's going to be a great selection Sunday. And, you know, I'll probably put some out on my Twitter when that happens of like, who's going to win it all, yada, yada, yada. But let's go ahead now and shift in to the NFL, Brandon. Huge, huge week. And I want to be the first one, Brandon, to say – you were right. You were right about Aaron Rodgers. You were right that he was staying in Green Bay. That when we were on your show a couple weeks ago, you said he's not going anywhere. You gave out all of the perfect details. And to little to, to little to maybe some ex- surprise from others, $200 million, four years, $50 million a year, makes him the richest player in NFL history in a contract. Brandon, the floor is yours. How do you feel about this? Listen, uh, to me, this was zero surprise at all. I thought Aaron had gone on the Pat McAfee show to kind of spread his publicity, make it for me, do his Aaron Rodgers type thing. Like, who cares? They're, they're, they're fun interviews with Pat. I love Pat and I love Aaron. I think they're fun conversations. But I think some people bought into them way too much than I did. I feel like I have a good reading on, on Aaron Rodgers. And listen, before Denver made their deal, which I know we're about to get to, but do you really want to face, as I told you before, do you really want to face Derek Carr, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert six times a year? Or do you want to be, at worst, the second best team in the NFC, making $50 million a year? Like, it, it was not a hard choice at all. Still has the best wide receiver in football, in my opinion, Devontae Adams. Really good one-two punch of running back with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. Really good offensive line once they get David Bakhtiari back. I feel like people kind of forget that he was hurt most of this year. He's one of the reasons why their offensive line struggled. Now, their defense will not be as good as it was last year. They're going to have to get rid of Zedarius Smith. They're probably going to have to get rid of Preston Smith as well. They're still going to have Jair Alexander on the outside. They're going to be a good defense. They're not going to be as good as what they have been the last couple of years. But what Aaron is betting on here 
is, hey, listen, the Rams, as great as the Rams were and as great as they won the Super Bowl, we all know what happens the year after you win the Super Bowl. You take a little step back. It's hard to do. It's hard to make it back to the Super Bowl in the NFL. I don't think the Rams will be as dominant this year as they were last year. And besides that, Arizona, who knows what's going on with, with Kyler Murray. San Francisco, we don't know how good Trey Lance is going to be. Dallas just let go of, of Amari Cooper. So the NFC contenders, I mean, I know people are saying, oh, Green Bay is going to take a step back and all this. To me, I think everybody's great. I think Green Bay should be the favorite of the NFC to make the Super Bowl next year. Yeah. And with Green Bay just locking up Aaron Rodgers for another four years, I was listening to this, and it almost seems as like Aaron took this deal for a couple reasons. Number one, everything you just said. Like, you're getting the most money in Green Bay. It's the easiest division for him to play in because you're playing the Vikings, you're playing the Lions, and you're playing the Bears. Three teams that are probably not going to even make the playoffs next year. You can maybe make an argument for the Vikings, but I will die on the hill by saying if Kirk Cousins is the quarterback in Minnesota, they're not going to the playoffs. I will die on that hill. I've seen way too much of Kirk Cousins to know how that story ends year in, year out. But, you know, with Aaron Rodgers, it, it just almost seemed like he loved wanting the attention. He loved being Mr. Mysterious. And to, to your no surprise at all, to maybe my a little bit of surprise, he goes back to Green Bay. And who knows? Now, depending on what they do in free agency, which is about to hit next week, it's going to get interesting. You know, it's I'm not going to lie. It's going to get interesting because you still have Devontae Adams. I think the biggest thing that the offense needs to do, besides get all their players back from injury, you have to get a wide receiver too. Devontae Adams cannot be the guy doing everything for you in the passing game. I like Jacob DeGuar as a tight end. I think he's moving ahead of Robert Tunyon. And if you should get rid of Robert Tunyon or not want him back, I'm okay with that. Because DeGuar has been good this year, and he showed it in the games when Tunyon was hurt with his ACL injury. But you need a wide receiver too. Now, does that mean you go out and draft a guy? Does that mean you sign a guy in free agency? I don't know. You could sign Allen Robinson, and you know there could be – another, you know, bear going to Packer and then the rivalry is renewed, uh, I, I guess, or fine-tuned, whatever you want to put it. But they need a wide receiver too. If they were to go in the draft to get one, I mean, they have a later round pick. There, there are a lot of good wide receivers. You can maybe get a speedster like Chris Olave in the late first round. Uh, I don't know what his projections looking like. I haven't really seen the mock drafts, but, you know, Chris Olave is a guy where you bring him into Green Bay to play with Aaron Rodgers. All I'm going to say is that you're going to have a speed burner as your wide receiver too, and then you could do some dangerous things in the NFL. Regardless, they need to make a play at wide receiver, and whether that's a free agent, whether that is a drafting a wide receiver, you, you got to make one, and then you got to fine-tune the defense, get rid of players that are liabilities. Preston Smith, after coming over from Washington, really hasn't been – he hasn't been bad, but he also hasn't lived up to that contract. So, you know, I can see why they want to move on from him. Regardless, Aaron Rodgers is a Green Bay Packer. And, you know, I think this deal and his entire career, and I, I'll let you get final thoughts on this. When it's all said and done, this is probably going to be his final contract in the NFL. Okay. 
he's got to win two Super Bowls on this contract for his whole time in Green Bay to not be a waste. Because if it doesn't result in two Super Bowls, his career has been wasted by the Green Bay Packers. And I blame a lot of that on the front office. But you also got to blame some of it on his play in critical games. You know, they're like this past year, you're supposed to beat the Niners at home. I mean, the team did not play good overall. You know, they only put up seven points. So, you know, you got to win two Super Bowls on this contract to, to, to A, save your legacy, and B, to make this whole thing, you know, worthwhile. I don't know how you feel about Aaron Rodgers. Like, I, obviously, we all know how you feel, but like, at the end of this contract, what do you expect from Aaron Rodgers? So, as we speak right now, I think Aaron Rodgers, the best quarterback ever to only win one Super Bowl. And it's weird to say it like that, but Aaron has really underachieved. And your point about the front office and the not Super Bowls, and he's only made one and, and however many years, listen, I blame a lot of that on Aaron. I know his defense was never great the years after they won the Super Bowl. Listen, he made it to multiple NFC Championship games. They should have absolutely beat Seattle, and we should have got Aaron versus Brady in Super Bowl 49, which, as we all know, pretty much changed history. It's amazing how that works. Um, so they should have made it to that Super Bowl. The Atlanta game, the game they got blown out, the game they should have faced New England again. Super Bowl 51, that team was good, and they just got smoke-strained. And Aaron, even though they got blown out that game, yes, they gave him a lot of points offensively, but Aaron did not match offensively. You know, it'd be a different thing if they're in shootouts. You know, 38-35, that'd be a different story. You could play one on the defense. But most of these NFC Championship games, they're losing, like, not like they're scoring seven points, 14 points, and that's, you know, that's a lot on the quarterback. And in the NFC Championship game, or excuse me, not the championship, but the uh, divisional round last year against the Niners, you're the number one seed in the NFC. We all want to see. And, hey, listen, the, the Rams, yes, they came back against Brady, but I think a lot of us all wanted to see the rematch once again of Brady versus Rodgers in Lambeau. Uh, and that did not happen, and we didn't even get Stafford versus Rodgers in Lambeau because Aaron Rodgers decides to lose to Jimmy Garoppolo, and the Niners didn't score an offensive touchdown in that game. You cannot have four MVPs and one Super Bowl appearance. It's why the MVP this year was an absolute joke. It is why it's it's a regular season award, but it's almost a regular season participation award because no one really cares. It's what you do in the playoffs. And I agree with you. Aaron needs to win a Super Bowl on this contract. I don't know about two because I do think it's going to be really hard to win two. I think this year is going to be their best shot because I think Aaron is going to be declining. I think their team is going to be declining. I think the NFC is going to eventually get better, and there's a lot of great QB play around the league. But this year, to me, absolutely this year, whether they keep Jordan Love or whether they give her to Jordan Love for a couple draft picks and use it to get a receiver, who knows what they do this year. Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers. I don't care about the MVP. I don't care if you have 45 touchdowns and seven interceptions. I don't care if you have 30 and 20 interceptions. 
win the damn Super Bowl. You couldn't have said it any better, Brandon. I I completely 100% agree with that. You have to win a Super Bowl on this contract. At That's at the very minimum. But let's now shift gears to the Denver deal because you touched on it a little bit, and now we're going to go full swing ahead. The Denver Broncos, for the longest time, Denver has had quarterback issues after Peyton Manning. If it wasn't for Peyton Manning, they don't win a Super Bowl. They, they just have not been able to get a solid quarterback. Well, to no avail and to many of people's surprises, they were able to do that. They were able to land Russell Wilson from the Seattle Seahawks in a lot of draft picks, including Drew Locke, Noah Fant, and Shelby Harris, all going to Seattle. And in return, Seattle got, or no, in return, Denver got Russell Wilson and a fourth round pick. When I first saw this news, I was a little upset because, you know, I was one of those guys that said, oh, Russ needs to come to D.C. I was all in on that. And seeing the reports after the trade, I'm like, so he wouldn't lift his no trade clause. I'm not surprised. I blamed a lot of it essentially on who the hell would want to play for Dan Snyder. You know what I mean? Like, and I I still think that's, I still think a little bit of that is, you know, because of that, but we're going to talk on a deal that my Washington commanders got on and got in on in a little bit, but with Denver, they finally get a quarterback that has been proven in this league for so long. He has a Super Bowl. And this is the first in NFL history where a team has acquired a quarterback who beat them in the Super Bowl. I, I believe I'm correct on that. Like, I, I was seeing the, the statistics. It's the first time we've ever seen a quarterback yep. who beat a team in the Super Bowl get traded to the team that he beat. Now, I know it's many years later. I get that. But still, you know, that, that's a pretty cool statistic. Regardless, Russell Wilson's going to make that team good. And, and Denver, they're going to be fighting for the one spot in that division. But I think that they are going to end up a close to. Again, free agency's around the corner. We don't know what's going to happen. But as of right now, it's, it's their division to lose in a sense because I also think that Kansas City may regress. Brandon, the floor is yours. So I have a lot of thoughts on this deal. Um, my one thought is I actually agree with it from both sides. So let me take it from the Seattle side first. Uh, and that is that I had said last year throughout my time on Black Show Radio and Pro when I started my podcast, I don't know if you know this, Austin, but every year in March, I play what I call Minute to Win It based off that old game show by Guy Fury. I have 60 seconds. And there's a bunch of free agency and quarterback moves. And I said, okay, is this team going to keep this quarterback or are they going to move certain quarterbacks? Last year, I said if I was Seattle, I would have moved Russell Wilson. At the time, I said, okay, you, you could get, you can move him to Chicago. You can move him to Vegas. You could get Derek Carr back. You could get a pass rusher. You could get a corner and you can get a couple of first round picks. They obviously did not do that. They waited a year too late, in my opinion. Now, I love Russell Wilson. I just thought his relationship with Pete Carroll was disintegrating. I thought Pete Carroll wanted to go defense first, run the football, rebuild that defense. They waited a year too late. 
But I do like the fact that they got Shelby Harris, a pretty good defensive lineman. They did get Noah Fan, who's a really good tight end. If I was Denver, I would have preferred for them to take one of the wide receivers rather than Noah Fan, because I think Noah Fan's a really good tight end. He's going to be a good piece for Seattle moving forward. And I do think that they are now on a rebuild track. They're clearly the fourth worst team in that division in a very hard division. For Denver, this is the interesting point. Because everybody loves Denver's roster. And if you know me, Austin, you know I'm very fixated on quarterbacks win in today's NFL. You got to go get one. I don't care what the picks cost to get. I don't care what the money is. You have to go get a quarterback. If you are third or fourth in your division at quarterback, you're usually not a very good football team. The AFC West is going to be an exception because Derek Carr is a very good quarterback, and he's now the fourth best quarterback in the division, which is absolutely insane. With Denver, Russell Wilson's very good. They have a very good team. I still don't know if they're better than the Chiefs and I don't even know what this Khalil Mack deal if they're better than the Chargers. And I'm going to add this in. I don't know if Nathaniel Hackett can coach or not. I mean, he's been the offensive coordinator for Green Bay for the last three years, but nobody knows. You know, it was Matt LaFour calling the plays. Matt LaFour and showing that system. Nobody knows how good Nathaniel Hackett is, really. So we all love Denver's roster. We know they got great safety in Justin Simmons. We know they got a great pass rush from Bradley Chubb. We know they got a great corner in Patrick Sertan. We know they have weapons all, all over the place. But you still got Kansas City, and you still got the Chargers in that division. So, I mean, yeah, Denver had to upgrade a quarterback. You couldn't stay stuck with Drew Locke. You had to go get Russell Wilson. I agree with it. Swing for the fences. Though I still think you're going to be playing wild card weekend on the road. Now, could they be one of the best wild card teams of all time? Like we saw Tampa Bay two years ago. Yeah. But they're going to have to go for a lot of competition. Man, the AFC is stacked. Yeah. AFC is stacked. The AFC West is the hardest division in football. I don't care what anyone says. Now that Russell Wilson's out of the NFC West and into the AFC West, AFC West is the hardest division in football. I will say this, though, and I know that this is going to be a hot take, and you are I know you're going to disagree with me, but I think the Los Angeles Chargers are the fourth-best team in that division. I think they are. And, and for many reasons, I will explain. Listen, Justin Herbert, in my eyes, if we're, if we're looking at what he needs to do to play better, you know – in that Chargers Raiders game to end the year, th- there were a couple, and like obviously he made plays, but there were a couple throws where it's like, you know, they were down into the ground. Like, like those are targets that you should be hitting on a regular basis. Needless to say, though, the defense wasn't good for them. Okay. And then we all know the Brandon Staley situation. In my well, opinion, he should have they, been fired after they that. They have a coach that, that plays bad in real life. Yeah. That's <laughs> that. I, Never in my entire life seen something egregious as that. I would have fired him after that if it were me. Oh, man. But I still think that even with the Khalil Mack trade, listen, Khalil Mack, for his career, he's been good. But he's at that age now, Brandon, where he's over 30. I think he's over the hill. And he did get hurt this past year. I think those injuries are going to stack up, and I, God forbid they don't. I think those injuries start stacking up. And I think the Chargers, while they're taking this all-in tactic as well, 
I ultimately think they're going to fall short. And I think they're going to be the fourth best team in the division. And I know this is a hot take. You can disagree with me, but that's where I stand on the Los Angeles Chargers. Doesn't matter how good. Uh, it doesn't matter how good Justin Herbert is or can be for that team. I, I just think that overall that team's going to end up falling short because I like Denver a lot more. I like Russell Wilson. I think he's going to do more with what he has in Denver than what Justin Herbert's going to do in LA. The Chiefs are the Chiefs, and they will always remain the Chiefs. And I'm going to put respect on the Raiders' name until Derek Carr is out of Las Vegas. Until he's gone, then the Chargers move from fourth to third. But I think Derek Carr, you can't stop disrespecting him. He's a top-10 quarterback in this league. I'm going I'm I'm to ride with him, and that's just kind of how I see it. But as I, as I see it today – Chiefs and Broncos are one and two. You can flip them back and forth. Uh, Raiders are third. Chargers are fourth. I think I'm just higher than Justin Herbert than you. I I really like Justin Herbert. There's some games that where I actually prefer Herbert sometimes over Mahomes. I'll I'll be honest with you. I love Herbert. I think he's a lot more consistent sometimes than Mahomes. That doesn't say Mahomes can Mahomes can for over 500 yards if he wants to. But sometimes there's some behind the back and there's some footwork issues. And we saw it in the AFC Championship game against Cincinnati where I'm saying, just set your feet, bro. Just, just make the easy throws. Mahomes can make all the throws. I think Herbert can make some of the simpler throws. And again, it's just preference uh, at the quarterback position. But I do agree with you on Derek Carr and the Raiders. I'm not so sold that Josh McTeen was a great head coach. That's why I'll knock Vegas down a little bit. Uh, I thought Rich Versace deserved that job. I thought the players played really hard for him. We don't know how McDaniels is going to be in his second center round as that coach. He could be great. He could be terrible. But that AFC West, I mean, last season, I thought it was a real possibility that the NFC West could have all four of their teams in the playoffs. This year, that AFC West, I mean, there's going to be a really good team in the AFC whether it's the Browns or the Colts or Baltimore or Cincinnati with Burrow or one of these AFC West teams or even New England with Mac Jones, there's going to be a, a team with a great quarterback in the AFC. We saw it this year with the Chargers and Justin Herbert. That's not going to make the playoffs. And the question is going to be, who's it going to be? Uh, and I know it's too early to tell, but I, I would – honestly think that the Chargers might be that team that miss again because I I don't know I, th- I feel like that coaching is just going to get in the way it's going to get in the way and, and if he is the reason why they don't win again and like don't get in the Super Bowl Brandon Staley may be <laughs> he might be the most interestingly bad coach that we've seen in a while because like it, it's not Madden it's not like you shouldn't be taking time out but we're going to kind of move ahead to the commander. This is what I've been waiting for. This is what we've been waiting for. We, and I know it's towards the end of the show, but wow. The Washington commanders, after all of the years where I have harassed Carson Wentz and I have publicly shamed him on Twitter because I do not like players from my division that are not on my team. He's coming to Washington. They, they get him from the Colts. They're paying $28 million. That's his cap hit this year. And, you know, with some other moves, they'll have around $39 million in cap after this move. But 
yeah, they're going to trade a conditional third round pick that can turn into a second round pick. If Carson Wentz plays 70% of the snaps this year, the Colts will also receive a firm third round pick in return. The commanders get Carson Wentz and they get a second round pick for this year, which is really good. I think, I think the deal kind of pans out regardless though. My initial reaction is what the hell are we doing? Uh, I was really heated when that trade happened because, you know, Russell Wilson's gone the day before we get Carson Wentz. Like, like, you know, like I like Carson Wentz. Do I really want this dude on my team? Who's kind of showed regression, but he kind of had a little bit of an okay year last year. So I'm not going to hold him at the stake for that. What I do want to hold him at the stake at though, is these reports saying that he's not a good leader. If you're not a good leader and you can't take coaching well, and you can't, and you can't take positive criticisms from your peers, then, then that's just a recipe for disaster. But Carson Wentz, you know him all too well, Brandon. I'll let you get them in a second. But if there's any team that he can maybe have a renaissance with, and I did see a video on this, and this is the only reason I'm saying it. Quarterbacks are good when they have great weapons. And Carson Wentz in Philly, other than Zach Ertz, did he really have that wide receiver that he could just pass it to? I don't think he did. And, and this is not to shame your team at all. I don't think he had the wide receiver. Like, Jalen Rieger's not going to cut it. And, you know, Greg Ward cannot cut it. I mean, Travis Fulgham can't cut it. Like, that's just how it is, okay? He never had a receiver in Philly other than Zach Ertz, and Zach Ertz may be a commander by next week, which would be insane. But uh, then you get to Indianapolis, and the best receiver that they have is Michael Pittman. Now, I'm not saying Michael Pittman's a bad receiver, but he's certainly not – he's not the head of the dragon in terms of receivers. You know, he still has a lot more to prove in my eyes to really become that number one. Um, He is trapped. I almost almost messed up his name. He now is Terry McLaurin. And Terry McLaurin – arguably is the best wide receiver that Carson Wentz has ever had in his career. Brandon, I'm going to let you get the floor. I think for that sole reason with him having a guy like Terry McLaurin and another guy like Curtis Samuel, who God forbid he doesn't get hurt, can actually play good. I think that's why we're going to see a renaissance because he actually has a weapon that he can throw to downfield. Okay. So let me set the stage for all the what's going to trade whispers out there. I have been, for the last five years, even when he left Philly and went to Indianapolis last year, I have been one of the biggest supporters of Carson Wentz in the Philadelphia Eagles fan base. From 2016 to 2021, I flat out loved the kid. 6'5", big, strong, mobile, accurate, everything you want in a franchise quarterback. The season he had, where he tore the ACL and went down, and in my opinion, still should have won the MVP that season, was the single greatest season I have seen in my lifetime from a Philadelphia Eagles quarterback. And by the way, it's not even close. I still can't get it out of my head. And then the next year, when he comes back off the ACL, he obviously has a back injury at the end of the season, still throws 27 touchdowns and, and seven interceptions. The next year, we were five and seven. 
There were talks about Doug Peterson losing his job and with a depleted weaponry, and you mentioned this, but the weapons he was throwing to, his number one wide receiver, Greg Bleeping Ward, a former quarterback from Houston, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, who can't separate from the worst corner in football. Those were his top two wide receivers, and he was working with Dallas Garden and Zach Ertz, who are two great tight ends. But we've seen now in the NFL, as great as your tight ends are, you have to have wide receivers. He carried my team the last four games of that regular season, played some of the best football I've seen him play since 2017. Got us to the playoffs, won the NFC East at 9-7. and seven. And then Jadavion Clowney effectively screwed his head off, maybe forever. Since Carson Wentz got hit in the head by Jadavion Clowney on January, whatever it was, January 6th, let's say 2020, Wentz has not been the same quarterback. And I don't know what it is because the, the weapons he had in Philadelphia in 2020, yes, we still had Alshon Jeffrey, who was over the hill at that time. Yes, we had Deshaun Jackson, who was always hurt in and out of the lineup. They weren't great weapons, but there were times where Doug Peterson would scheme open good plays and the guys would be open. And Wentz just didn't see them for whatever reason. And then, as you mentioned, there were reports out there about him being immune to coaching. Now, I did not want to get rid of him last offseason because I did not see enough in Jalen Ertz at the end of 2020 to say he could be a franchise quarterback. That's bad evaluating on, on my part. Now, I acknowledge that. So, Wentz goes to Indy. And I thought, okay, he's got Michael Pittman. He's got maybe the best running back in football in Jonathan Taylor. He's got a really good tight end in Jack Doyle. He's got one of the best offensive lines in football. And you're right, Austin. His stats were great. I think he threw 27 and 7 interceptions again. It's like his perfect stat, 27 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. I think he's done that like three times. The problem is six interceptions were, were in the second half in close key ball games. And there's once again a report that he was immune to coaching. He was tough to deal with in the locker room, and Frank Reich reportedly said he's not the same guy I coached in Philadelphia. And that is concerning to me for your team because now he's going to an organization, you mentioned it, the owner, Dan Schneider, is not a very good owner. And no disrespect to Ron Rivera, I think he's a very good defensive coach. He's not going to a great offensively-minded team. They're going to still run the football with Antonio Gibson, I would imagine. They're going to ask Wentz to not make that many mistakes. And I don't necessarily know at this point. It's crazy for me to say it because he's a number two overall pick in the 2016 NFL draft. Is Wentz that much of an upgrade? Because I, I watch Wentz. Every single game last year with the Colts, whenever I could. I, I mostly had an Eagles game on and the Colts game on at the same time because I wanted to see Wentz in Indy, see if he looked any different. I'm really not so sure he's any different than Taylor Heineke. I'm just going to say it. I do not think – I think it's a little bit of an upgrade, but I don't think it's going to be enough to make you guys a 500 team. I still think you are third in the division behind Philly and behind Dallas. 
Wow. Okay. Uh, I I kind of look at it like this. You know, Carson Wentz, th- this is kind of like his audition. You know, you're paying him $28 million. This is his audition. If he has an amazing year, if he has an insane year, you can maybe extend him. But if he doesn't have that insane year and it doesn't pan out in the end, next year's draft is better quarterback-wise. It's a better quarterback draft next year. And if you don't want to take a quarterback now because of how much raw talent is available, that's fine. You don't have to. You got Carson Wentz for the year. It's his time to shine. It's his final opportunity to prove if he could be a starter in this league. But if you really don't want him next year and it doesn't work out, then just move on from him. It's one year for $28 million. You had to make a play. I, I don't know. I'd rather prefer Wentz than Garoppolo because I feel like Wentz can throw the ball better than Garoppolo. Garoppolo is just a game manager, and, like, he, he just makes the – like, I don't want to say he's a bad quarterback because, you know, Garoppolo has been to a Super Bowl as a starting quarterback. He's been to NFC Championship games. But I don't know. I just don't know. Jimmy Garoppolo, as of late, just it just seems like he can't throw the ball real well. And there's been many opportunities where he has just misfired throws. So I, I will take Carson once. I'm excited a little bit now because I want to see what we do. And I think if I know something for sure, Brandon, Carson Wentz is going to be good for a revenge game this year. Oh, for sure. I'm already doubting on him at least. Now, now I'll I I will say this. It's going to be interesting. You're right to see what you do because, in my opinion, and I know that that you're going to disagree with me on this. If Wentz doesn't work out, there's a possibility Ron Rivera's fired. Like I think there is real pressure on you guys this year because listen. You you know, Ron Rivera got there last year. He won the NFC, but you finished seven and ten. It was the weakest division I think we probably have, have, have ever seen. And then last year, you turn around, it's a good year, but you know what? It just it felt like the same. I think it was another seven and ten season. If you guys go seven and ten this year again, and you gave up that draft capital for, for Wentz, Austin, it's an offensive-minded game now. Like that, that is my thing. Like you need weapons. Like it's a lot easier to hire an offensive-minded coach because if you have a defensive coordinator, a defensive head coach in Ron Rivera, I'm not saying Scott Turner's a bad offensive coordinator, but if he has one good year, let's say Wentz is a good year, what if Scott Turner becomes a head coach next year? And then and then you're back to square one. So there there is a there's a lot of possibilities, and I think the pressure is really on you guys. It's on Wentz. He's going to be due to have a great game against the Eagles in Washington. I don't think he's going to have a great game in Philly. We'll have to see about that. I really want it to be in Philly week one, make it happen, NFL. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, But, yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting. I'm interested to see what you guys do in the draft. And um, I'm going to keep keeping an eye on the uh, commanders this season. Yeah, I, I think if for Eagles fans in particular, like, you know, just overall, now that Carson Wentz is in your division again, uh, I feel like that kind of gives a little – I wouldn't say it brings the juice back for that rivalry, but it definitely adds a little bit of flavor to the steak. You know, I, it's just 
Why? I've never why. liked the idea. Can I say I think you'll agree with me on this? I've never liked the idea of signing a player that that used to play in your division. It almost never works out. We've seen the Eagles try to sign some Cowboys. Didn't work out. We've seen the Cowboys try to do it to Philly. Never works out. We've seen Washington go after Donovan McNabb. Remember, we traded Donovan McNabb in your own division. They yeah. beat us one time in Philadelphia, and that was it. Um, so I, I don't know. We'll see. But I feel like it never works out. I don't know. I feel like it could be in particular with, with this setting and for what it's worth. I don't know. Carson Wentz is due – to at least get that revenge game. Now, how he plays the whole year remains to be a mystery. I mean, we'll just have to wait and see. But I, I cannot wait for the Carson Wentz experiment as much as most Commander fans because it's either he's going to be here for a couple more years or he's going to be gone by next offseason because of how underwhelming he played. And I think, Brandon, to go back on the point about Ron Rivera, this year his job is safe. Okay, Ron Rivera needs a quarterback. It's hard. It's hard to really be on the hot spot when you don't have a quarterback. It's hard. But, okay, though. But Vic Vangio didn't have a quarterback in Denver. He's gone. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is Denver with Vic Fangio. I know he's a defensive-minded coach, but with what he had in Teddy Bridgewater and what he had with some of these other quarterbacks, when you're a defensive-minded coach and you're not living up to you know, your defense most years, like he would, like, I don't know. Like, I felt like he was really underwhelming in Denver on the well, defensive that's side of the ball. about Rivera and Washington. I'll be like, I, like, I just feel like the, the team is, they're, they're a little bit less better than Denver, but I mean, we could say the same thing about like Minnesota and Zimmer or these other guys are, are, around the week. I mean, listen, I've told you this before. Belichick, the best defensive-minded coach in the history of the game, literally cannot stop Josh Allen in a snowstorm. I mean, it's just the the way of the world right now. You, you got to get a quarterback and you got to get weapons. And I uh, listen, Philly's behind on that. The Giants are really behind on that. Dallas now without Amari Cooper is behind on that. And you know, so it's really anybody's ball game in this division. If somebody wants to grab a quarterback and grab a stud receiver and just catch up to the rest of the week. Yeah. This, this division is going to be up for grabs a lot uh, throughout the course of the year. Now that Amari Cooper, you know, obviously he got traded to the Browns. We could touch on that in a little bit, then maybe touching the MLB, but um, yeah, no, this division is really open. I think the only team that's not going to make a play in it are the Giants. The Giants. Oh, can we can we agree that the Giants are not going to be? Yeah, no. Um, unless they finally decide to move on from Daniel Jones, and that's not happening. Yeah, they're not. Like they, <laughs> Brian Dable wants to make it work with Daniel Jones, but I have seen some reports that Mitch Trubisky might go to New York, and that that, that don't change anything. Listen, I like yeah. Mitch Trubisky. He's a little bit of an upgrade over Daniel Jones. Don't change anything for the Giants. Yeah, they're just they're just a mess right now. And if they were a smart franchise, they would trade away Saquon Barkley and try and get something for him rather than deteriorating his body even more and wasting his talent because they already have. They've already wasted him as a running back. MetLife Stadium is one of the worst stadiums to play in because that turf hurts people like none other. It's like FedEx Field. FedEx Field sucks for quarterbacks for and sure. for injuries in general. MetLife is the turf version of FedEx Field. That, that's that's all I'm going to elaborate to on that. 
but it, yeah, this division is going to be up for grabs. I cannot wait to see what happens for the commanders. I can't wait to see just how this whole season on unravels in the division, but let's now go to Landon Collins, not Landon Collins. Well, we could touch on it now that I mentioned, I didn't even want to bring him up. He's going to end up getting cut. So that's the tidbit for the commanders getting that money back from the Wentz trade because they're, they're saving about $6.1, $6.5 million. Uh, that's just, I'm just throwing that out there. What I wanted to talk about is Amari Cooper. He's going to the Browns. And Amari Cooper, I believe he was dealed for a fifth and a sixth. Correct. Did the Browns get a pick in return? I believe they got a six back. Okay. I think they swapped right. six. I didn't know if they had I didn't know if they had a pick in return. But Amari Cooper leaving Dak to go to Baker Mayfield. And to be honest with you, man, like I think you can agree with me when I'm when I say that Amari Cooper is just nothing more than a wide receiver, too. I completely listen. All of these Browns fans are jumping up and down, celebrating. And I'm saying, guys, he's a number two receiver. He's a nice receiver. First of all, he disappears way too much on the road. We've yeah. seen him for the last three. No, no one believes me, but you watch him in Dallas when you, you see him go to Philly or Washington, the Giants, a completely different player. So, number two, though, I do think it hurts Dallas more than I think it helps the Browns, to be honest with you. Um, I think Amari Cooper was clearly the Cowboys' best receiver because they don't throw C.D. Lamb the football. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good move for the Browns, but am I jumping up and down going crazy over it? No. I was like, okay, it's fine. You got him for a fifth-round pick. Good value, but it's not going to change the world. Yeah, it won't change the world at all. And for what I've said for the longest time, and you just said it, he disappears in games. There, there are times where – you just can't get separation. And it, it, it's just remarkable because you're paying him $20 million per year. And I think he only has one more year on that contract. So that's why they kind of threw him to Cleveland, I guess. But he has Baker Mayfield throwing him the ball. Is Baker Mayfield better than Dak Prescott? No. No. I, I, and, and trust me, I don't like Dak Prescott by any means. But you have to respect, you know, how he is as a player. Dak Prescott's the better quarterback than Baker Mayfield. Now, time will tell to see if Baker Mayfield has a good year this year because this is it for him. He's at the end of the line. He's walking the plank, and this is the farthest you could go. And if he disappoints this year, he's gone. I've heard it from Browns fans a million times. They, they, they thought he was the answer, and he hasn't been. But this is where we finally see if he can walk the walk and talk the talk because besides the injury, he's been a good – competent quarterback when he plays on injury he looks like he shouldn't be in the league respectfully and he was kept in games last year while he was hurt because of how good the Browns defense became and the Browns defense helped them out in a lot of games this past year and you have to give credit for that but they need a quarterback to lead them down the field but Amari Cooper he's not going to be the wide receiver when I expect the Browns to go out and make a play at a I expect them to draft a wide receiver at 13. They have. I expect Allen Robinson. They're they're going to try to make a play. I think a Rob or somebody or the draft. I agree with you. Are we sure that Baker Mayfield is even going to get a chance to walk the walk, as you would say? Because I'm not so sure. Listen, Deshaun Watson. Would I make a play for Deshaun Watson? Yes. Would I give up three first? Probably not. I'd probably give up two. Maybe you give up a corner. Maybe you give up one of those pass rushers and two first round picks. 
I listen. I said at the, at the end of the year on my podcast, I've seen enough from Baker Mayfield. Uh, I'm I'm out on Baker Mayfield, just like you know, I'm out on a lot of these bridge quarterbacks in this league. I just I watch these kids like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and on and on and on. Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to be up there someday. Now that he's got an offensive minded coach, finally. The AFC we talked about the world is absolutely stacked. Like I was even thinking, like New England, Mac Jones. Mac Jones is a good quarterback. He's nowhere freaking close to any of these studs. And they may be having the conversation in a couple of years. That's not a here nor their conversation. The conversation on Baker Mayfield. But it's just the point. Like, you can't be average at quarterback in the AFC. You're what Baker Mayfield's a bottom five quarterback in the AFC. Deshaun Watson comes in there, he's in the top five. But even there's a debate there when you have Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and all those guys in there. This conference, forget the division, the conference is loaded. And so, I don't know. It, it just it feels like you're, they're going to bring that Baker Mayfield, they'll get a wide receiver, they'll go eight and nine, nine and eight, nothing special. And uh, Baker's not back here next year. But I think they got to be aggressive at least. Yeah, they should definitely do the homework and, and see if they want Deshaun Watson. And here's my only reason for why I don't think Deshaun Watson will be a Brown or just in any team in the ASC in general. He has free range to meet with these teams and lift his no trade clause. That, that I saw that in a report. I saw that on Twitter. Why the hell would you want to go to the AFC when you're already in it and you're thinking to yourself, NFC is wide open. It's free game. I could go to the NFC and make probably a better impact if I went to an AFC team. No, I credit the AFC's like, you know, they got better teams, better competition. But NFC teams, like, they're no joke as well. I mean, I'm seeing teams like Carolina and the Saints give their sales pitch to Sean Watson. He would be perfect in New Orleans. He'd be perfect in New Orleans. I don't know about that. I'm I not- think he'd be perfect in New Orleans because the Saints, in my opinion, have everything but a quarterback. I think if you have a good quarterback in New Orleans, they're probably winning the division every year. I don't trust Michael Thomas. Um, I, I'm just, I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of the Saints. I think losing John Payton's a big downgrade. I, I don't think they're going to be that good. I just – I can see the decline already happening from the Saints. Yeah, like the Saints – like there is a little bit of a decline. and I mean, we saw it last year. But I'm still going to stand down and say that you bring in Deshaun Watson, doesn't matter. Wait, I, think, I, I think Deshaun I, Watson – Deshaun Watson will like, win them that division. That's the thing. He well, will win them the division. What about a team like Tampa? Why doesn't Tampa See, I don't, go out? I don't, I don't think. I don't think if he does go to Tampa now. Yeah, switching gears. If Tampa made a plan to Sean Watson, they're winning the NFC South every year. I, I think the Saints and Tampa are the two teams in the NFC South that can win the division realistically. And if you add Deshaun Watson to the Saints, I think the Saints win that division. I if, agree. If Deshaun, if Deshaun Watson goes to the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers are going to run that division for a good four to five years after Tom Brady left. They practically, the thing is with Tampa Bay, and it's so weird, is they have 
the infrastructure already. They have everything. They just need to get a quarterback. That's why I think they're personally going to make a trade for Jimmy Garoppolo. I do, too. I I think Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo is going to go to Tampa Bay. But Tampa Bay knows that if they wanted a guy like Deshaun Watson, they're probably going to have to give up a lot, maybe some players. And I think the Saints are just willing to do that more because of the situation they're in to get Deshaun Watson. And if Deshaun Watson paired with Alvin Kamara, paired with Michael Thomas, hoping he doesn't get hurt. If First of all, if he gets hurt, it's over. I mean, that's just kind of how it is. And, you know, the Saints, outside of Michael Thomas, receiver-wise, it's been a letdown. So if you don't have if, – if Alvin Kamara, hopefully everything in his legal problems go well, you know, free agency comes around the corner. They could get a guy like Allen Robinson to help out the load. Regardless, I think if you had Deshaun Watson to the Saints, that I think they win that division. Well, I agree because right now the best quarterback in the division is Matt Ryan. It's not even close. Tampa don't have a quarterback, and the Saints don't have a quarterback, so they're they're gonna have to do something. But for both of our sakes, I just hope Deshaun stays in the AFC. <laughs> yeah, but I I agree with that, and I I just don't think. I just don't think at the end of the day the Browns are going to trade him uh, or trade for him. If they do trade for him, I could see Baker, maybe Kareem Hunt, two first-round picks. I'd give up Baker. I'd give up one of those corners. I'd give up Greedy Williams. I wouldn't give up Denzel, but I'd give up Greedy or one of those other corners. I I wouldn't give up Hunt because I I don't think uh, Houston would take him. I I think they'd get a corner – then you give them like Porter Gustin or one of those pass rushers and a couple picks plus Baker. Yeah. And that, who knows, that could ultimately happen, but Amari Cooper going to the Browns to kind of, I guess, wrap it up. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do at wide receiver, but if he is the wide receiver one going into next year, which I don't imagine he will, I really don't think it's that much of an upgrade, to be honest. Like, it's a little upgrade over Jarvis, but like we said, nine and eight, ten and seven, somewhere around there, he will disappear in games. There will be some games where he will have nine for one twenty, and then other games where he may not even register on the stat sheet. Mm-hmm. And we'll just have to see how Baker utilizes him. Uh, that's kind of enough from the NFL. Let's kind of wrap up the episode a little bit and talk to some sure. MLB, the MLB, and the MLBPA. We're having baseball, Brandon. They agreed on a deal. Everything is set in stone. They're supposed to start, I think, second week of April, April 7th. So it's looking good. It's looking good. And talking about the Guardians, you know, I don't expect them to do anything in free agency. I mean, they're not going to spend money. But, you know, kind of giving an outlook on the Guardians this year, you know, they, they didn't have the worst of seasons last year. I mean, up until, you know, the All Star break, they didn't have the worst of seasons. Do you expect that the Guardians have that same type of season this year? You know, play great first half of the season, fall off mostly in the second, or are we thinking that this is just going to be one of those years where the Guardians are going to be fourth or fifth in the division? Austin, I think you're wrong on both those accounts. I expect the Guardians to compete for a wild card spot this this season, the whole way. Uh, I think when you take a look at last year, we were one game under 500, and that was, you know, most of our pitchers were out most of the year. We lost all five of our starters before the All-Star break. No one's ever seen anything like it. You have Shane Bieber, Aaron Savali, Zach Plezak, Eli Morgan, Tristan McKenzie, Gail Quantrill. That's six quality starters, and they could even trade away one of them at the trade deadline if they need to add an extra piece. 
Offensively, they need to obviously do some work in the outfield. Um, you know, uh, no longer having any Rosario. We'll see if Zimmer or Astro Mercado and one of them take over one of those spots. A mile straw taking over in center field. Hopefully, Josh Naylor can come back and be the right fielder. You have Bobby Bradley at first base. I think Ahmed uh, Rosario will play short. We're going to see one of those kids at second base, whether it's Gabriel Erez or Owen Miller. Jose Ramirez at third. I think etching, you're not going to lose too much with Alberto Perez going uh, to Pittsburgh and Austin Edges coming in. This team's going to be very similar to what they were last year, I think, which is better pitching for Ralph. I expect 85 to 90 wins as long as Terry Francona stays healthy throughout the year. And I do think that this team will compete. Obviously, now there's an extra playoff spot. So if you want to put, you know, the Yankees, Red Sox, Rays, and Blue Jays, you know, all kind of that mix in the AL East. I think the White Sox may be in a little bit of a down year. I think they kind of went for it all last year. So, I think the Tigers are an up-and-coming team, but I think that they're a year away. And so, yeah, I do think that this team can compete for the, for the division, but I'm at least expecting a playoff spot. Yeah, I don't know. I just saw that last year, you know, up until the wild card – or not the wild card, excuse me. Up until All-Star weekend, you know, this team was looking great. Like, like we, I was thinking to myself – because I predicted last year on my show before we, you know, we went to a podcast – I predicted last year that 500, they're winning around 82 games. So I, I, I predicted that. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that this team is gonna, you know, have a little bit of a slight regression. I think it's possible. I expect this team to maybe be third in the division. My goal, you know, I think it could end up around 82 games again. I, I don't know. I this team just seems very mid at the end of the day, just, I like Owen Miller a lot at second base. I hope he is the starting second baseman because I think when you give these younger guys more time to play, and and people forget a lot of our players last year were from the minor leagues. Yeah. You're giving them experience. And Terry Francona is great with young kids. It's going to be fun to watch the team develop over the course of the season. Yeah, and when you have those guys come in and play, you're basically pitching a a triple-A team, but they're playing as – a very average team in the MLB. That's pretty good. Yeah. So I think if, if they want to take the same approach like that this year, obviously you have Jose Ramirez. He's your third baseman. He's the best player on your team. I like Ahmed Rosario a lot from the deal with the, the Mets. He's really good. And I think, you know, I know it's too early to tell, but Cleveland clearly won that trade. Clearly. Oh yeah. Without like, a doubt. Let, let the Mets go ahead and pay Lindor, who again had one of the worst offensive seasons in his career. So let them pay it. Lindor's getting all that money to, you know, play in, in bright, big Queens and New York. But regardless, Ahmed Rosario had a really good year last year. I liked what he, I liked what he did, but I, I think the spot that really I was just floored by. And I, when I say floored, I meant like amazed. I really like Miles Straw. He's a great, he is a great center fielder. And when I saw him play for the Astros in Cleveland one uh, in Cleveland this past season. Yes. I I was there. I think it was the night before the 4th of July. I was there and I saw him and he is fast. He is fast. He could steal. I think he was the lead league, the lead league. 
you know, the stolen bases. And stolen I am fumbling my words right now. We've been talking for a while. But, uh, yeah, he's been amazing with stealing bases. He's fast. He can hit the ball. I really like how Cleveland was able to get him and, you know, throw Phil Maton to the, the Astros. Yep. And I thought Maton just wasn't getting it done in the first place. So, regardless, this team is going to look really interesting. I, I expect them to finish third. I don't think a wild card spot is going to be eminent. But, you know, with the rotation that we have, Savali, Bieber, Plesak, I mean, it goes down the line. Cal Quantrill really stepped up last year. He did. And, and I, 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 I was out on him. I was out on him. I was originally out on Cal Quantrill, and then he started playing better. And I'm like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to – I'm going to take my word back because if you're putting up results like this, I like that. I hope Tristan McKenzie takes the next step. Cause I, th- I thought there were a couple times last year where, you know, he, you know, he was just kind of getting exposed. Hope he takes that next step. This, this starting rotation is lethal. It's lethal if no one gets hurt. And if it doesn't get hurt, this team can maybe make a deep run. But again, Depending on how they play up until the trade deadline, we can't really say anything right now about what moves they would need to make. But all I can say is I don't think they're going to get anyone in free agency. I don't think they're willing to spend the money. They're going to keep what they have. They got their guns loaded, and we'll just see what happens. I expect them to go 82 games winning, see what happens. you know. But uh, that's all the time we have, Brandon. I'm going to give you a little bit of the Florida do your socials. Sure, Austin. Well, thank you so much. As always, guys, make sure to follow me on Twitter at BrandonLewis underscore 7, Instagram at LewisBrand25, and you can also follow my show, Brand's World. We do a podcast every Monday and Thursday, bringing down all things in the sports world. Follow me on Twitter at Real underscore B-World. I can't believe baseball is back. My mouth dropped open last week when they said a deal was done because I did not think we were going to be talking baseball today, but uh, it, it, it was great talking to you today, Austin. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you so much, Brandon. And as always, you can catch our Let's Get it Straight podcast once a week. We're going to try and do a little more, hopefully, but, you know, schedules are <laughs> the big issue. And the Commanders podcast is coming out this week as well. I'm excited to start that project. It's a passion project. And we're going to be talking only Commanders, so that way I can talk more NFL on this show for other teams and then bring everyone to the show that I want to work on a lot and that's my Washington Commanders podcast where we're talking all commanders we're bringing all commanders fans from anywhere in the U.S. and we're going to talk to them and we're going to have a fun time so that starts this week and we're going to start it on free agency so thank you guys so much for listening I appreciate it I know it was a long episode thank you guys for staying with us from Brandon Lewis from Brandon's World I am Austin Off from Let's Get It Straight thank you so much we will see you next time on the Wavelength